Good morning. You're a good-looking bunch of people, aren't you? Most of you. Uh, well, this morning, uh, I probably should start by introducing myself a little bit. My name is Charlie, and uh, I've been uh, coming to the church probably for five or so years. A short time. Um, but... Uh, You'll quickly pick up from my accent that I'm not really uh, a, Fo a Falkirk local um, because originally uh, I'm from Australia, um, but this is home. I've, I've worked out that as of this summer, I've lived one third of my life in the UK, so I feel local even if I don't sound it. Uh, one of the things that I will talk about a little bit this morning in the message is about digging and I was trying to think of stories about digging because I'm not a gardener. But then I thought, most of my stories that involve digging involve another thing that I used to enjoy doing, and that was caving and combining those two things together sometimes. I remember in one cave where, it was a cave I'd been in before, and there was a section of the cave where you normally couldn't get through because it was, uh, there was a duck under and it was all silted up. And one time, going through this cave with friends, we got to the point where we got there, and it wasn't as silted up as usual. So we made the decision, let's dig. So we, we dug it out and got through. Took a, probably nearly, nearly an hour to dig because you're just scraping it up and it all just falls straight back into the hole. But it, we got through and uh, we saw the rest of the cave and it was great. And I'd been back to that cave since and never got through again. So it was a great choice to dig that time. I remember on a different occasion when we uh, were in a different cave, and these were the, the same friends. And we decided, we'd just come into a cave and we were trying to decide whether to go through this passage that connected one cave system to another. And it was quite a long, narrow passage. And we were deciding, because it was a little bit silted up at the front, and we thought, will we, won't we, will we, won't we? We decided, no, let's, let's not bother. So we, we carried on into the cave, sumped it, got to the bottom, came back up. And I remember coming over one ledge, sort of stepping over a ledge, and a trickle of water ran through my feet. I thought, hmm, don't remember seeing that on the way down. As we sort of then kept coming out of the cave, that trickle became a little bit more of a stream and in the end a torrent what had happened was that it had rained outside when we were in the cave and the rain just tends to then drain straight into a cave. And we got out and we thought about it. We thought, if we had decided to go into that narrow passage, I didn't tell you that the narrow passage was about 12 inches wide and 8 inches high. You're basically just shimming with your head sideways. If we had gone, and it's about 80 feet long, if we had gone into that part of the cave and it had rained and flooded, well, you wouldn't have me here today speaking to you. So on that time and that occasion, we made the right decision to not dig. Um, so that's just a little bit of, of me and my background. Um, this morning, I want to talk about a, a passage in Mark. You may probably have heard the passage before, 
if you've been in, in Sunday school, you've probably done a colouring in and some sort of uh, stick-on object with this story. But before we read it, I want to give a little bit of context just to give you the background uh, first. So the story comes from Mark's Gospel. Mark is Peter's account of what Jesus did when, when he was on earth. Um, it was probably the first gospel written. It was probably written about 20 years after Jesus was alive. So quite, quite recent. It's a bit of a microwave gospel. It's a bit instant action. Everything's got to happen straight away. It's, it's a short gospel where Mark uses the word immediately over 40 times in this gospel just to sort of create that sense of urgency and instant action. So the story that we're looking at uh, this morning comes pretty early on in Jesus' ministry. It's while he's still in the phase of building his team of disciples and it's set in Capernaum, which is a village on the northern shore uh, of the Sea of Galilee, and this is where Jesus now lives. Uh, So let's read this passage from Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered, there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins... He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we ask that through your spirit, It will penetrate our hearts. It will speak to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In that story, there are lots of different people involved. There's Jesus, there's the paralytic man on the mat, there are the friends, there are the crowd. We understand that there's teachers of the law within the crowd. But this morning, I want to focus on the four friends. Because the story tells us that they had to create a hole in the roof to lower the man to Jesus, who was inside the house. And then Mark just jumps straight to the next part of the story, where he talks about what Jesus did and the miracles that Jesus performed. 
But let's pause here a little because I want to unpack for a minute some of the characteristics of those four friends. They were good friends because they heard about Jesus being in town. They thought of their other friend and not just of themselves. So they put their other friend first, really. They were committed. They had to arrange to carry their friend. They couldn't give up halfway if he's you know, trudging along through the streets and went, this is too heavy, let's just leave him here and we'll get going. They were committed to see the job through once they'd started. They were determined. They didn't give up just because they couldn't get in when they hit the crowds. So the story tells us they went up onto the roof and we'll see here a picture of probably what a house looked like in those times. It would have had a flat roof which they used as extra living space and often in the evenings when it was perhaps a bit cooler, they would sit on the roof, they'd probably have a shade, they collected water on the roof. But in order to do all that on the roof, the roof had to be pretty strong. It wasn't just you know, something covered with straw, it had to be a fairly solid roof to have all that activity on there. So as we keep going through the characteristics, we see that therefore the friends had to be also resourceful because I imagine when they set out carrying their friends, they didn't, oh, let's also bring a shovel and some rope. So they had to go and get these things and figure out how they were going to get their friend through the roof. So they had to get the right tools and, and equipment to do that. They had to be strategic because they had to know where Jesus was teaching and the layout of the house so that they didn't sort of you know, dig a hole in the roof, lower him in. Oh, sorry, that's the bathroom. <laughs> Bring him back out and have another go. They had to get it right. So again, they had to be careful and, and, and planning what they were doing. They had to be persistent. They had to be really determined that their friend would encounter Jesus, even if the cost was actually destroying someone else's roof. And they were going to get in trouble for this, so they knew that they were going to do it and weren't going to stop. And we can see that they were full of faith. They did all of this because they believed in what Jesus could do. Uh, I've looked at these friends today, and we're looking at these friends because, spoiler alert, I'm challenging you and me to be more like and act more like these friends act like one of these people. So we see that the friends are successful, the man is lowered on the mat, and Jesus heals him. We know the story. That's great. And I've read the story and heard it many times, but one thing that I didn't see at first until recently was when Jesus performs the miracle for the paralytic man, the text says Jesus saw their faith. It wasn't the faith of the man on the mat. It wasn't the faith of the crowd. It was the faith of the four friends on the roof that Jesus saw. And because of that faith prompted him to act. And for me, once I started to think about that, I thought, wow, that's amazing. Because I guess we often think, well, it's my faith is what causes Jesus to act or do something and, 
And if my faith isn't good enough or strong enough, then Jesus won't do something. But in this case, their beliefs that, that they held, the, those four friends, ultimately helped transform this man's life. He went from being paralyzed to being able to walk out. Jesus saw their actions. That was what he saw. He didn't, at that moment, he didn't see how many uh, church rotors they were signed up for. He didn't see how often they'd prayed. He didn't see what their reading streak was on the YouTube, version Bible app. They're good things, but that wasn't what he saw in that moment. He saw their faith in action. And it was that that moved him that what he saw, that moved him to perform the miracle. So let me simplify the whole story. Some friends worked really hard to get another friend to encounter Jesus. And when they met, Jesus transformed him. Now it was Jesus who healed, it was Jesus who performed the miracle but it wouldn't have happened without the four friends. Because they didn't just tell their friend, hey, we've heard Jesus is in town. You should go see him. He can heal you, but we're off because we want to get a good seat at the front. I think that Mark is actually giving us a real challenge here. I think he is challenging us to be bringers and not just inviters. To be a mate and not just a messenger. Because Mark is giving us here a model of evangelism which he uses a few times in his gospel of people being brought to Jesus. Now we don't always think of evangelism in that way as bringing people to Jesus. We hear the Great Commission as go and make disciples and we think, oh, that's about me convincing people, me coming up with clever words and eloquent phrases that will convince them to meet Jesus. The problem with that model in itself is then it's about us and our performance. This story tells us clearly that it's Jesus who is the one who will transform lives. That it's Jesus, the one who makes a difference, who turns things around, forgives sins. But also, we have a role to play in that. So this morning, I want to ask, will you be like those four friends? Will you be a good friend, be committed, determined, resourceful, strategic, persistent, full of faith? Will you be a friend, but with a purpose? Not just being a friend and being nice, but, but being a friend that will journey with them to bring them to the point of uh, becoming healed, and becoming whole. I'm sure we all have friends who we think, 
your life would be so different if you had Jesus in it. But are we journeying with them and helping them as that friend? Will you look for those opportunities to bring your friends, to journey with them until they meet Jesus? Now that journey will probably have obstacles, may not be easy, but will you continue and persist and persevere to bring those friends? Because in, in John 15, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And we know that's what Jesus did for, for us, as he calls us friends. So this morning as I close, my question or my statement really is that, that the main thing that Mark tells us that we have to do is to bring people to encounter Jesus and then we let him perform the miracle. Amen.